I'm glad you're here. I'm not up here going through the motions for the record. I'm not just thinking of good things to say to you. I believe what we're going to talk about this morning is so significant and weighty and important. So I would suggest you don't go through the motions either. Like, let's see what's going on here from God's Word. I'm going to start off by telling you something um, very sad for me and why I believe God's Word and what we're going to talk about is so serious. My best friend from junior high, high school, and college died a little over two months ago. Um, we met in eighth grade. We shared a locker, or maybe our lockers were next to each other in a Smithfield Junior High. It's kind of the Dallas-Fort Worth area of Texas. And we would hang out all the time in Texas, junior high and high school. And believe it or not, we actually decided to go to the same college together in Arkansas. We both became Christians in college. Both felt called to the ministry in college. Both of us have the same name, Jason. Let me give you a picture of him. This is, uh, now, if you're wondering which one I am, I'm, I'm the cool one on your left. Just a, that's the way my friend and I would talk. Okay. So he's in the middle, Jason, and my other friend Bob's there on the end. Um, one night he went to sleep, and he didn't wake up. And he had a massive heart attack at my age. So I, I booked a flight to Arkansas and flew back to our college town. And I have not been to our college town in over 20 years. This is very emotional. Um, we both got saved in college and discipled under something called the Wesley Foundation. That not mean much to you. It's kind of like crew and varsity, but more with a, a Methodist slant to it. Um, and he, what's amazing is he was called to ministry, and I was also. He, his dream job was to come back one day and be the pastor of the Wesley Foundation. And after many years, the Methodist system kind of moves you around. And he was in the Methodist system. He got his dream job. He was the leader of the Wesley Foundation, the pastor of where we got saved and where we decided to be, you know, be pastors. We got our call, both of us. And he's leading his dream ministry, married to a great wife and two loving daughters. And he goes to sleep and he does not wake up. So I, I was there. And I went back to the Wesley Foundation where they had this memorial viewing, and I went into the chapel. We spent many hours in the chapel back in the day, and he was in the chapel lying in a coffin with a big Bible on his lap. And I have had a very hard time processing because, you know, you're not supposed to lose your best friends, and I at least thought you weren't supposed to lose your contemporaries until you get a bit older. And so since that time, I keep having these flashbacks. It's very strange, these flashbacks to him in the coffin. And I'm like, what am I supposed to do about this? What am I supposed to think about this? And, and I, and I kind of just summarize it for you this morning. Two questions have been hitting me hard because I'm going to be there one day. Here are the two questions I've been asking. What is true? What am I supposed to do? I'm going to be there one day. I'm going to die one day. You are too. What's really true, like really, really true, like what is, what is true? And what am I supposed to do about it? And I think, you know, those are good questions to ask as you enter 
2014. Don't you want to know? Are you, are you following something that's not true? Are you believing lies? And if you are following the truth, well, so what? What are you supposed to do about it? We're not just going through the motions here. If it's true, you're supposed to do something about it. So those are the two questions we're going to ask today. And we're going to go back to the book of Romans. And we're going to look at today what has been called the most important paragraph in the Bible. It's been called the most important paragraph in the Bible. Romans 3, verses 21 through 26. And I want to read it to you before we break it down. So let's all stand up as I read the Word of God. Romans 3, starting at verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. You may be seated. Let's get reacquainted with Romans. Been in it about three and a half months. It's pretty bad news, depressing this fall, the first three chapters. We saw that a good summarizing verse is Romans 1.18. Romans 1.18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. That's really encouraging, right? That's pretty much sums up where we've been this fall. Apart from Christ, all are guilty before a holy God and are targets of His wrath. Remember we saw as we looked at Romans chapter 1 that the Gentiles are breaking bad and God is opposed to them. But the Jews thought they were breaking good and getting better. But no, they were just as sinful as the Gentiles. And now as we start to move away from sin, we, I guess we can move into this concept of breaking away. It's time to break away from sin and show another way of freedom. And so as we plunge the depths of sin, we're going to go up to the heights of the gospel in the good news. And it starts with two words. Two of the best words that you will ever hear in verse 21. But now. But now. Yes, it is true that we are sinners, targets of God's wrath. But now. That's not the end of the story. God has taken initiative to intervene. But now. And if that wasn't there, all hope would be lost. Verse 21, look at it. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Many of you have memorized the law. You know the Ten Commandments, or maybe you know some of them. 
but beyond the Ten Commandments, there are a lot of commands called the law. The law reveals God's holiness, his character, moral right, moral wrong. But the law was never meant for you to keep in order to be saved. The law is there, and one of the, what, the reasons for the law is to expose your sin and to bring you to the gospel. But now a righteousness from God has been manifested apart from the law. There is now a new revelation of a way to be made right with God apart from the Old Testament law. But this new way of salvation being revealed is not totally new in the sense that the Old Testament hinted toward it. Look at verse 21 again. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. Do not think that your Old Testament is a waste of time. Do not think that that era was just a big waste. You'll find in the Old Testament pointers to the gospel. The Old Testament revealed prophecies and imagery that kept pointing to this way of righteousness apart from the law. You find it way back in Genesis 3.15 where we see the seed of the woman will crush the serpent's head. That is, Jesus will crush Satan on the cross. You see it in the promise to Abraham to have descendants as numerous as the stars. You see it in the prophecies of Isaiah as he talks about the, the suffering servant. You see it in the foreshadowing of the deliverance from the exodus out of Egypt, showing that we are going to be redeemed and brought out of deliverance from sin. You see it in the sacrificial system of the animals being killed day after day, ultimately foreshadowing and pointing forward to the ultimate sacrifice in Christ. The Old Testament has given us these pointers and these hints and pointing forward to saying there is coming a righteousness apart from the law because there is no righteousness to be found by keeping the law because no one can keep it. And this right standing, according to the Scriptures, is through faith. Do you see it there? In verse 22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Previously, when we saw the righteousness of God revealed, uh, it was in member Romans 1, 16 and 17, uh, it talks about the, God's intervention in history to make people right with him, his salvation through Jesus. But it also talks about a righteousness that is given, imputed to the sinner so that he can have a right standing before God. But when we think of the righteousness of God, don't let the term trip you up. Just always think, when I hear the word righteousness of God, I'm thinking about what is necessary for you to stand before God in the right. What is necessary for humans to have a right relationship with God? And it is not to be found in keeping the Ten Commandments because you can't do it perfectly. It's not to be found in adhering to the law because you fail and I fail. It is to be found in faith in Jesus Christ alone. So let's start to answer the question, what is true? Let's do it together. What is true? You are saved through faith in Jesus Christ. You are saved through faith in Jesus Christ. Salvation is given to you by faith, not earned by deeds. And this is not just faith in faith or a general faith in God, but this is faith in Jesus Christ the great God-man who enables you to stand before the Father because of his life, death, and resurrection. Let me tell you why this faith is so important. And I'm about to introduce you to some terms that are very difficult. Faith in Jesus Christ is important because it is Jesus who has secured our justification. 
It is Jesus who has provided redemption. And it is Jesus who is our propitiation. Three big words. And you may think that these big words are just the, the nitty-gritty that theologians talk about or that boring seminary guys and girls talk about. But these are the metaphors that are the essence of your faith. And I believe that little kids can understand justification. I believe that little kids can understand redemption and propitiation. And so when I look out, I see some little kids, and I think they can understand this. But I see a lot of other bigger kids in here who are working on degrees from a world-class university. And if you zone out, I'm going to throw my Bible at you. Don't get lazy on me. You be lazy at, at school tomorrow, okay, but not here. Let's engage. We're going to talk about some serious salvation metaphors because I want you to understand your salvation. What, what's true? I want you to know what's true. So we're going to look at the details here. Don't zone out. Here we go. Let's start out with the concept, the metaphor of justification. Justification. It's a metaphor from the law court. It's God's legal declaration that guilty sinners have been made right with God. Let's look at it in the text. Verse 22 again. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift. We all want to be inclusive in our culture, and the Bible is very inclusive. All are sinners, every single one of you. Every single person have fallen short of the glory of God and have blown it. We've all exchanged the glory of God for idols and have fallen short. Yet God has provided a way for anyone to be saved and to be justified by his grace as a gift. Now back to the definition of justification, metaphor from the law court. The idea is that who's the judge? God's the judge. And as God is the judge, justification is the act where he declares a person to be righteous in his sight. It's not just forgiveness. It's not just a pardon. But they are declared to be righteous in the sight of God. Forgiveness, <laughs> forgiveness is not enough to get you into heaven. I know, and that's so controversial. It's not. You need to be declared righteous in his sight. But here is the million-dollar question that has divided people in history. Here's the question. On what basis will God declare a person righteous in his sight? What makes God say, you're righteous? And let's just kind of be honest here, and I don't want to get an attitude. I don't want to get angry. I don't want to get mad at anybody. Don't get mad at me. There is a historic divide between Catholics and Protestants. And I know there may be Catholics in here. I know many of you may have friends who are Catholic, family members who are Catholic. And I think we can talk about these issues without getting an attitude. And I don't think we need to hold hands and sing Kumbaya and act like there's no distinctions because there are. So let's just talk about this. I don't want to have an attitude. Forgive me if I do. I don't want to come across arrogant. I want to say, okay, what is true? And what makes God declare a person righteous? And so the historic divide between Catholic and Protestants, we have... One side, the Catholics saying this, and I, I, I hope I'm not misrepresenting them in any way, shape, or form. The Catholic would say that God will declare a person 
righteous in his sight, when he sees that that person has sufficient righteousness inherent within them. Let me explain it in just normal terms. So if you're Catholic, I guess you're believing Catholic doctrine, the idea is that you need to believe in Jesus. And they would even say grace. They would even say, say faith. So you've got to believe in Jesus. And then they would say that you take this grace and this faith in Jesus and we work with it. We cooperate with it and we produce these good works. And these good works create within us a sufficient righteousness where God sees us working with grace, working with faith in Jesus, and he sees us and he goes, okay, you are righteous. Now, I don't want to go beyond this point because it's a long conversation. What if you don't have enough righteousness when you die? Well, you go to somewhere else and work it out, right? Okay? I don't think I'm misrepresenting the doctrine at all, but let's not get into that. And I think, I mean, of course this is what I'm going to say, right? But I believe the Bible doesn't teach that. I believe that's not the correct understanding of the Word of God. And they would say they disagree with me. All right, that's fine. But let me what, say what I believe the Bible teaches, and it, and it is this. Righteousness, and oh, this is going to be a big deal. Righteousness comes from outside of us. It's not inherent within. This outside righteousness, and some call it the alien righteousness, can be ours through faith in Jesus. So through faith in Jesus, we get our sins forgiven. We're clothed in his righteousness. And in this alien righteousness, God sees us clothed in the perfect works of Christ, and he declares us righteous. We're still sinners, and yet we're declared righteous through faith in Jesus. And I'm going to explain from this text how that's so. But there are a lot of verses that hint to this in the Bible. Uh, this, I don't have this on the screen, but let me just give you this one if you're going to write this one down. Second uh, Corinthians really hits at this. Second Corinthians 5, 21. Listen to this. For our sake, he made him, God made Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Oh, this is so cool. So the idea is that Jesus keeps all the law. He does everything perfect and right, and we do all things wrong. And yet when we put our faith in Jesus, we swap track records. Oh, you got that? So in God's sight, Christ is now viewed to be bearing our sin, and we get his perfect righteousness through faith in Jesus. It's amazing, amazing good news that in God's sight, we are justified, declared to be righteous through faith in Jesus. Now, I want you to think of it this way. Is it really cold outside this week? Is that an understatement? It is. It's cold. So I want you to think about below zero numbers and above zero, okay? So now get rid of temperature and start thinking about numbers. Your sin has put you way in the negative below zero, okay? Way negative. Through faith in Christ, he dies on the cross for your sins. You're forgiven. Forgiveness brings you to zero, neutral. Having your sins forgiven alone will not get you into heaven. You need more than just neutral. You need righteousness. And the righteousness of Christ clothed on you, and you believe in Christ, God views you as righteous. It puts you way in the positives. Get that. Another way I've shown you is that, uh, like a glass of water. You've got like yucky dirt, mud, spit, gross stuff in it. And when you have your sins forgiven, it's like you dump all that junk out. 
clean it and it's clean, that won't get you into heaven. Just having your sins forgiven. You need righteousness. Pour in the pure water, crystal clear, righteousness of Christ. You're accepted through faith in Jesus. And my argument is, it's a gift. You can't earn it. You don't cooperate with it. It's a gift. It's in the text. Look at it. Verse 24. And are justified by his grace as a gift. It's not about you working. It's not about you cooperating. It's it's a gift. It's about saying, oh, there's salvation through faith in Jesus. Give me some of that. And you receive as a gift with no added works of your own, my brothers and sisters. There is no catch here. There is no catch. There is no faith plus this, this, this. this. There's no catch here. It's through faith alone. I, I told you this uh, a couple years ago. I told some of you this. I took my, my son, 13, to uh, Universal in Florida. And we went, and, and you guys all know the terminology. I do not. But we went to this Harry Potter world, land, whatever you call it. Okay, you're with me. So we went to this place in Harry Potter, whatever, and I got to read the books. <laughs> and so we went. I am so not cool right now. Okay, I get that. So we went to this wand shop. Yeah, am I doing good? <laughs> so we went to this wand shop, and there's a lot of us in there, and there's a w- wizard in there. I don't know his name, but he's, he's talking to the crowd, and he's being all crafty, wizardy, and he picks my son. This is great. So I took my son there for his birthday, and he's getting picked by the wizard. And so the wizard turns around, tries to figure out what wand he's going to pick for my son. He picks this wand in front of everybody. He takes this wand, and he gives this wand to my son. And I'm like, this is an amazing birthday present. This is awesome. So when the, the presentation was over, we all of us get, get ushered in to a gift shop. That wand is not free. $29.99. Thank you very much. You see that there's a catch. Here's a gift. But then there's a catch. Here's salvation. But there's a catch. Brothers and sisters, there is no catch. Your faith in Jesus, you are accepted. And so we ask the question, what is true? What is true? Here we go. What is true? You are perfectly accepted by God through faith in Jesus Christ. And chances are, this grace does not function hardly in any areas of your life. There is so much pressure on you. There's pressure on you as students. There's pressure on you as workers. There's, there's, there's no guilt like parent guilt, right? There's pressure on parents. And kids feel pressure from the parents to perform, perform, perform. If you can perform enough, we will accept you. And so we all come. We're driven people. We think we've got to earn our acceptance. And we come before God. And it's like, it's a gift. And you're like, no, God, I want to do something to get into heaven. He's like, no, here is the gift. What do I got to do? Just believe. You're accepted. Can you handle that? You're accepted through faith in Jesus Christ alone. He views you and sees you as righteous. In Christ. Best news ever. Now let's look at this metaphor of redemption. This is a good one too. (laughs) Redemption. 
It's a metaphor from the prison system, the slave market. God's ransom of sinners from the captivity of sin and Satan through Jesus Christ. Let's see it in Scripture, verse 24. And are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Okay, during this ancient time, slaves could be freed through a ransom price, maybe paid by their family members. Those who were in prison could be uh, brought out of captivity by a payment of a ransom. And then we're in bondage to sin and Satan, and the metaphor transfers over to us, and Jesus pays a ransom. Jesus said in the Bible in Mark 10, 45, Jesus says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I know there's a big theological discussion about who Jesus pays this ransom to, but I don't, I don't think the Bible takes the analogy that far. It never says who he pay, pays it to, but the price that's been paid through his death to free us from sin and Satan. I want to make sure you get this because most of you do not believe it. What is true? Here we go. What is true? You are free from the bondage of sin and Satan through faith in Jesus Christ. Do you really believe that? Before you were saved, you had a different father, Satan, and you did what he wanted you to do. You were in bondage of sin and in captivity, and you kept falling into it and into it and into it. But now that we're saying through faith in Jesus, you've been redeemed. That means the same sin that you kept going back to as an unbeliever, you don't have to go back to it now. Do you believe that? If you don't believe that, then why are you going through the motions of religion? Yes, we're still going to struggle with the temptations of sin. Yes, we're still going to do foolish stuff. But do you want me to tell you that from here on out, now that you're a Christian, you're going to just keep doing your same sin until you die? That's not good news. Good news is you've been, that bondage has been broken. You've been redeemed out of captivity. You do not have to keep doing the same stupid things over and over again. You don't. You've been redeemed. Pulled out of that. And by grace and by encouragement of others, the scriptures, the spirit, you can say no to sin. And yes, when you slip and when you fall, you say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. You receive grace and forgiveness, but you don't have to keep going back. You can say no. Do you believe it? Let me introduce you to the most annoying Christmas present ever. My wife, my wife received a present this Christmas of a no button. She's a mom with six kids. And some her, someone gave her this button, I think, for her to push every time she wanted to say no to her kids. Because, you know, as parents, we say no a lot. So it's like, for example, Mom, can I go to Chuck E. Cheese Sky High Jump Zone today? No! Okay. That's how that works. Save your energy. Save your breath. You with me? All right, sit. So I was thinking, man, that could really work in dealing with sin, right? Like, kind of just show you what it looks like. So, like, you know, like, do you want to look at porn? No! Do you want to get drunk? No! Don't, don't you think you should just kind of cut corners and cheat? And 
Oh. How about, how about, like, I feel like overeating. No! All right, all right. Well, how about ignoring the poor? I just, I don't want to take care of them right now. Do I really, I don't want to ignore, should I really help? I don't want to ignore the poor. No, 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 no. Okay. And it's like, do you want to keep going back to that terrible relationship again and again? No! And, and, and it just keeps going. No, 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 no. For the last time, no. So you get the concept, right? Isn't that awesome? That there's like some power now to say No. The temptation comes, no, I have power, I can say no now. And I, 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 I know that overblows it on one way. There should be a yes button as well. <laughs> Things that we say yes to as we walk in the commands of God. But we're redeemed. There's no more bondage of sin and Satan. That's for real. That's for real. All right, let's look at the last metaphor, propitiation. Oh, this is going to be the hardest one to get here. Metaphor from the sacrificial system. God's pouring out of his wrath on Christ instead of sinners whom he now views favorably. Well, do you even get that? So, like, God's wrath is on us. We're his target of wrath because of our sin. But through Christ on the cross, wrath goes on Jesus. And through faith in Christ, we now get the favor of God. Well, that is good news. But I doubt many of you use the word propitiation often in your testimony, in your daily Christian jargon. Bring it in, propitiation. We're going to consider a problem with propitiation with regard to God. We're going to talk about a God problem that you may have not considered. So let's finish up the text with verses 25 and 26. Whom God, talking about Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Uh, here we go. Zone in. Here we go. Right here. Here we go. Sin deserves what? Death. And in the Old Testament, when you sinned, what did you have to do? You got to go kill something. Animal. Not you, but the priest. So you get an animal, a lamb, you bring it, and you, you, you put your sin on it, or you confess it, it's there, and slaughter. Wrath goes on to the animal instead of you. God views you as favorably, right? Okay, here's the problem. If we were existing as believers in the Old Testament, we would have blood all over the place right now. It'd be one big, disgusting, bloody mess. Because you had to keep making those sacrifices over and over again. You just couldn't say, I'm going to kill this little lamb and I'm going to be good. No. He's going to kill lamb, bull. Keep going, keep going, keep killing, keep killing. Why did that happen in the Old Testament? It was showing that those sacrifices were not sufficient to deal with sin. They didn't really ultimately atone and turn away God's wrath. Yet, God forgave Old Testament believers through faith. But how could God do that? Come on, how could he do that? If the, if the sacrifices weren't sufficient, how could he do it? Okay, let, let's think of the number one example in the Old Testament of this. King David. King David commits adultery. He murders. And then he lies about it. According to the law, what should happen to King David? He should be killed. In fact, I don't even think there's even sacrifices sufficient for those sins. He should be killed on the spot immediately. And yet, what does God do? He forgives him. And you may think, 
oh, God, he's just so loving and he's just so full of mercy. Of course he's going to forgive. But see, here's the God problem that you don't have. What about his justice? What about his holiness? Do you think God just lets sin slide? Oh, God just loves David. Okay, David, I, I forgive you. And somehow God lets sin slide? Is that what's going on? How could he forgive Old Testament believers? This is how. God was looking forward to the ultimate sacrifice of Christ. So in the Old Testament, he's forbearing with those through faith. He's patient because he's looking forward to the propitiation of Christ. Look at it again. Look at it again. Jesus Christ, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith, this was to show God's righteousness. You see it here? Because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. So in the Old Testament, he's patient. And he's looking ahead to the ultimate sacrifice of Christ. So as they're bringing this lamb to be killed, God is looking forward to the ultimate lamb of God who is going to be killed to turn away his wrath for good. God was storing up this wrath and he poured it out on Christ. So what do we have on the cross? The cross is so beautiful of Jesus because it shows the justice of God and the love of God in the cross. How can God be just? Because he punishes sin with death. On who? On Jesus. And yet he gives us the mercy. If you want to figure out how justice and mercy collide, look at the cross. That is unbelievable. So God is just and the justifier of those who have faith. And we have forgiveness for Old Testament saints and New Testament saints. Here's a great, great quote from Douglas Moo, professor I took over the summer of Romans. He says, he says, the cross of Christ works backwards in history and forward in history. You get that? Those through faith in the Old Testament are forgiven through Christ and his ultimate sacrifice, and those today are forgiven through the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus, where God's wrath is turned away. Which brings us to the last thing of what is true. Here we go. What is true? You have God's favor instead of wrath through faith in Jesus. Now, brothers and sisters, I'll make sure you get this. God's not mad at you. Through faith in Jesus, God's not mad at you. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take it even further. Here, you ready for this? He has every reason in the world to be mad at you. <laughs> You've blown it. Yeah, yeah, you have, yep. But he's not mad at you. He forgives you because he poured out that anger and wrath on his son Jesus instead of you. And now you get favor, you get acceptance. He's not mad at you. Even when you, you go out of here and you sin, you do something foolish today, do not think, well, now God's wrath is back on me. No. There is grace and forgiveness. Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. You don't have to go and bring lamb after lamb after lamb after lamb to get rid of your sin. It was in that one sacrifice for all of Jesus Christ. You can keep coming back to him for grace and forgiveness. That is ultimate, wonderful truth. So if this is all true, if it's all true, and I think it is all true, and since it's all true, what are you supposed to do? Like, what are you supposed to do now? What are, you, what are you supposed to do? We talked about what is true. Okay, what am I supposed to do? Now, we're going to talk about this more, more next week, but here is what you're supposed to do. This is going to be ground shaking. This is amazing. Ready? This is what you're supposed to do. Believe. You're like, yeah, but what else? No, no, nothing else. Just believe. 
put your faith in Jesus. And we'll unpack this more next week, but for now, look, look. Put your faith in Jesus as your Savior. You are forgiven. Put your faith in Jesus through whom you've now been declared righteous. You're accepted. Put your faith in Jesus as your Redeemer. You don't have to keep going back to sin or being bonded to Satan. You've been free. And put your faith in Jesus as your propitiation. God is not angry at you. He loves you in Christ. This is great truth. What are you supposed to do? Believe. Let me show you a picture again of my friend. As I said, he's in the middle. Jason's his name. He's the one who passed away a couple months ago. And as I've been processing and still processing, and I'll continue to process, I, it's, it's encouraging to know my friends with Jesus. And one day, I'm going to be dead too. And one day, you're going to be dead as well. But not yet. We're among the living. And today's the day to walk in truth. Today's the day to walk in the gospel. Today's the day to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you didn't leave us dead in our sin. Thank you that you intervene sending your son Jesus. Thank you that you care for us. Help us to believe. If there's anyone here who does not believe, then you stir up them to believe, to trust you. And where we feel the pressure, Lord, to perform before others, may we find that grace and acceptance in you. And where we think that you're angry with us, may we continue to come back to the sacrifice of Jesus and your grace. And when we keep going back to our sin and thinking that we're just destined to do it, show us there's freedom and the redemption of Christ. Show us your grace. Help us to believe. In Jesus' name, amen.